0: At least I. I should know the name of the man to whom I owe my life.
1: You mean you don't, Your Majesty? May I present the infamous Simon Templar? <laughs>
0: Welcome back to Geek Channel 8. I'm Eric.
1: And I'm Johanna. I accomplished the Barbenheimer double feature.
0: How did you manage to do that? Because I could not find the the times around. We don't have that many showtimes around here, right? And uh, the times did not align to allow for two in the same day.
1: Not in the same theater, I had to uh, see Oppenheimer in Lebanon. This was actually my second time seeing Oppenheimer because I saw it opening night at the IMAX, which I highly recommend pretty much any Christopher Nolan film should be seen at the IMAX first. Uh, But for a second screening, saw it at the Sticky Six and then drove five miles to the next theater over here in Hanover to see... Barbie, that is also the order in which you should see those films. Do not see them in the other order.
0: I'm planning on doing it. I was going to try to squeeze it in today, but I forgot we had this recording. Uh, I tried to squeeze it in yesterday. Again, I couldn't find a way to make it work. I'll I'll see if I can do it. I'm going to try really hard. I was, like, really worried because, one, originally the trailer for – Oppenheimer did not have the quote from the Bhagavad Gita Mm. about I am – now become death destroyer of worlds. And I'm like if that's not in the trailer, that better be in the movie because if it's not in – like that's the one thing that needs to be in that movie. And then – the Barbie trailer came out and it didn't have the Aqua uh, yeah. song in it. And there was a rumor for a little while that it wasn't going to have that song at all. And I'm like, now wait a minute. You two movies are failing at your one <laughs> thing. Like the one thing you needed to have, you know. You
1: know what Oppenheimer did have? All right. So I I read nothing about the film because I didn't, I didn't want to know anything. I didn't want any spoilers. I wanted to go in with my basic history knowledge and just let that be that. But – The one thing that was included in the film, because I knew nothing about it in advance, I nearly fell out of my chair. My man, Gary Oldman, shows up. Everyone! At the end of Oppenheimer. That's your one spoiler that you're getting if you haven't seen the film.
0: Of course he does. I was strongly encouraged to take up CrossFit by my boss. Oh, no. (laughs) And it was going okay until... We had this thing where we were supposed to do like um, rowing machine for a certain amount of times and then run over to the wall and there's these medicine balls and we had to throw them up on the wall. I'm sure people who worked out know what these things are called. I just call it, you know, ball throw. And then we had to go like from the ball throw to like do push-ups and then back to the rowing machine and there's supposed to be like several cycles of this. I got through one cycle – and i was done and i i didn't know why but i was just like completely and i know my body and i know this isn't normal for me and they're like all trying to talk me into doing more and they're like oh it's crossfit so you just downscale you do let you set the resistance on the rowing machine to less and you like or you could use a lighter weight ball and i'm just like no something's wrong okay <laughs> so i eventually gave up for that day and I had forgotten that I had had multiple blood draws that day.
1: Oh, God. (laughs) And so the next day
0: I'm like, oh, yeah, that probably (laughs) affected that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you think.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I like to plug other podcasts, and I've been listening to a podcast which really doesn't need our plug, Benjamin Walker's Theory of Everything. And l- late in the pandemic year, he released one about Rudolf Hess, the longest, shortest flight of Rudolf Hess. It is a conspiracy theory. And there's not a lot of documentation. I went to the website and was looking for sources and stuff like that. So I don't know how good this conspiracy theory is or how legit or you know how close to, but there is a conspiracy theory about Rudolf Hess's flight. Rudolf Hess was um, the uh, deputy Führer in uh, the Third Reich. Um, So basically Hitler's right-hand man and he flew to Britain to negotiate peace. Um, That never happened obviously but um, part of it is this conspiracy theory that it was due to a disinformation campaign um, that was headed up by Peter Fleming who wrote a book about Hitler flying to England to attempt to surrender. It's a complicated conspiracy theory, but it's definitely worth checking out and listening to as it's still one of the most mysterious episodes of World War II and a lot still not known because there are documents that it still have the government has never declassified, the UK government, uh, MI6. And by the way, yeah, Peter Fleming was Ian Fleming's, older brother, who was probably, prior to James Bond, a uh, more well-known author. And uh, also, of course, you know, worked for the British Secret Service. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: Wow. Well, I'll have to check check that out, especially now that World War II is back on the mind with Oppenheimer. and.
0: Okay, so let's jump into this. We are up to season five in our one episode per season overview of the saint
1: queen's ransom first episode in season five is also the first episode that was filmed in color it was broadcast in august 6 1967 and it was the first episode not to be based on a story by charteris it was written by lee vance who was also a screenwriter for the avengers and the 1966 mission impossible tv show which if you haven't checked out the original Mission Impossible TV show, highly recommend Star's Leonard Nimoy for most of the episodes. So if you want to see some not Star Trek Leonard Nimoy, Mission Impossible. Martin Lando
0: also. Yes,
1: also Martin Lando. So Lee Vance definitely has some chops in the spy adventure area in addition to, to working on The Saint. Looking at the director for this episode, Roy Ward Baker, His first job in films was as a T-boy at the Gainsborough Studios in London. I didn't know that T-boy was an official film role that you could have, but um, apparently it's maybe right up there with uh, Best Boy and Gaffer, (laughs) T-boy for English studios. During World War II, he worked in the Army Kinematograph Unit, and he was a writer and film producer and after the war, decided to go to Hollywood. He is maybe best known for his 1958 film, A Night to Remember, about the sinking of the Titanic.
0: We, yeah, which, by the way, uh, Titanic totally rips off. Like, if you watched have you seen A Night to Remember? No, I haven't. Oh, my God. I, we were watching this movie years ago, like the same year that Titanic came out. And we we're watching it on our home video, so we we're watching it in in my living room. My friend's like we we got like halfway through it and he was just like, Cameron is a thief.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm intrigued also just on the fact that it stars Honor Blackman, whom our audiences will Pussy know galore. as Pussy Galore. Yes. So I'm um, excited to check her out in another film.
0: You do know Honor Blackman was a regular on The Avengers, right?
1: Yes, yeah, okay. but not. But I have, I didn't find her cross listed for the Saint anywhere. Does she show up in in a few episodes? I think she did
0: make an appearance in the Saint. Yeah, yeah.
1: Anyway, sorry. mostly his career was in film up until he switched over to television in the latter half of his career, and the Saint is part of that.
0: This one is called the Queen's Ransom. First thing you notice is that it's in color, and it has a cooler opening credit sequence. Yes. Like, co-evolved with the James Bond film opening credits where you get that like silhouettes in front of color. The kind of thing that Cowboy Bebop was mm-hmm. like referencing when it made As it, this is one of the really cool credit sequences from the, the 60s. I just love that opening.
1: No, it's it's great. And something that makes this uh, new section of The Saint different is we are no longer breaking the fourth wall. The opening now has a narration instead of Simon directly addressing the audience, which I actually didn't notice when I watched it. I only noticed when reading the production notes about this change, but still seems to work pretty well.
0: Yeah, so this one is in Monte Carlo, and it opens in a casino where uh, Simon Templar is gambling. And I just want to call your attention to some of the people in this casino. In this casino, we have... A couple of staff members that I want to point out, casino staff members, and then a couple of members of the crowd. One casino staff member is played by Jack Arrow. He was in 22 episodes of The Saint. He was also a Le Circle patron in Dr. No. That's the casino in Dr. No. He was a casino patron in the 1967 Casino Royale and a... Diamond Syndicate Guard in Diamonds Are Forever.
1: He must just have that resting gambling addiction face.
0: (laughs) It gets better. The other person that's on the casino staff worth mentioning is Martin Leiter. He was in 12 other Saint episodes, often playing a croupier or casino staff member. (laughs) He was also the croupier in Diamonds Are Forever. Nice. Two of the other patrons in the casino, one is Ernest Blythe? He plays Man in Casino. He was in five other Saint episodes. He was also a chess tournament spectator in From Russia with Love. Another man in the casino was Juba Kennerly. And he was in one other episode of The Saint. He is the man in Trafalgar Square in the Casino Royale 1967. He also was a chess tournament spectator in From Russia with Love. And he was also a Circle Casino patron in Dr. No. So we have a core group of Bond extras here.
1: I bet they have like a long-running poker game or something that they just keep coming back to. Like it's they're not playing pretend. There's, you know, real stakes there. I also – they're playing Baccarat in this scene, right? I hear them get very excited about having Noof. And that's the only hint we get to the game because they didn't spend a lot of time – you know, really following what was happening.
0: Yeah, yeah. While there's this gambling happen, one of the people gambling is a king. Uh, do we find out what country he's the king of?
1: It's a mythical country called Federa, which we find out is fifty thousand square miles of poverty stricken desert, where this now former king had funded all of the public infrastructure before. Uh, apparently turning to gambling.
0: <laughs> so King Faluda is the king here. He's played by George Pastel. I want to mention also that he was previously in a couple other uh, episodes, The the Covetous Husband and When Spring is Sprung, and also the, the Vendetta for the Saint 1 and 2. So he has been in other Saint episodes. And he was also the train conductor in From Russia with Love.
1: Of course. <laughs> okay.
0: So, more connections to the Bond franchise. And I think this is why Bond devotees just love this show, because there's all these little connections. Anyway, there's an assassination attempt on his life, and Simon Templar foils it. Well, it turns out that Templar knows the Queen.
1: Yes. Although. I've noticed this being a recurring pattern that the ladies often are the ones who say, oh, don't you know this is Simon Templar?" And it seems to be a pattern that he's got of the the ladies remember this guy.
0: Queen Adana is played by Dawn Adams, and she was previously Countess Audrey Morova in the Lawless Lady episode of The Saint in season two, and also... Magda Vamov, in the episode called The Fellow Traveler. So she's been in a couple of previous episodes, too. So anyway, it turns out Templar knows her from her modeling days before she became a queen.
1: When she first shows up, I was curious how she ended up the queen of anything, especially the queen of a small Middle Eastern country. But yes, modeling definitely seems to be a realistic career for her. She is very beautiful. But it doesn't explain her, I hesitate to use this word as a feminist, uppity attitude. <laughs> she's really, you know, quick to be offended when Simon Templar doesn't address her husband with the proper respect of a former king. And
0: Oh, it goes beyond that, as we'll find out. <laughs> yeah, she's a bit of a brat. But because of this successful rescuing of the king from this assassination attempt, Templar's recruited for a job to escort the queen to make a withdrawal from a bank in Zurich. Now, while they're talking, uh, another character, Salid, overhears this and reports it to the king's nemesis, Farid. Farid, just to uh, mention him real quick, he is played by Peter Madden. And he would come back in Vendetta for the Saint in the sixth season. He also played Mick Adams in From Russia with Love. So he sends his henchman Mahmood after them. And Mahmoud, continuing with our theme here, played by (laughs) Neville Becker. He was in a couple of other episodes, The Charitable Countess, The Work of Art, and The Saint Bids Diamonds. He was also number four in Thunderball. He was specter number four in Thunderball. So – Yet more connections to the Bond franchise in this episode. So anyway, Mahmood is sent by Fareed after them. Templar and the queen fly by the king's private jet to Switzerland.
1: Yeah, and we get a sense immediately that the people who are piloting the jet are not necessarily on Simon Templar or King Faluda's side. They are among the hench people.
0: Yes. The co-pilot, I wanted to point out, is played by (laughs) Harold Sanderson. He was a Le Circle patron in Dr. No. He was the hydrofoil captain in Thunderball, and he was in six more episodes of The Saint, as well as being a stuntman in Thunderball.
1: Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, (laughs) Sorry.
0: There's more of these. So buckle in, guys. I'm going to keep mentioning this.
1: I knew you'd have me covered. I (laughs) I did not do the in-depth research into every single extra because I knew you would recognize them.
0: (laughs) Also, they're set to be picked up by a chauffeur when they reach the airport. This chauffeur is on his way to get them when he is stopped by uh, Mahmood and two thugs.
1: Yes, with a very interesting cutaway. At the exact moment that they attack him, the camera suddenly pans to the ground and then pans back up again. They didn't kill him. It was just, you know, apparently just a little bit too violent.
0: <laughs> yeah. A couple of things about this. First of all, the chauffeur was played by George Leach. Okay, he was also in another episode of The Saint. But more importantly... He was the decontamination technician in Dr. No. Oh, nice. Yeah. He was a man in a uh, bulletproof vest of Q Division in Goldfinger. He was Largo's crewman in Thunderball. He was a strangled specter skier in Honor Majesty's Secret Service. He was Cortina Gunman number no. 2 in The Spy Who Loved Me. He was Drax's minion in Moonraker. He was The henchman that was a shark victim in For Your Eyes Only.
1: Oh, shark shark. meter.
0: (laughs) He was a minor gunned down by Zoran in A View to a Kill. He also did stunts in Dr. No, Goldfinger, Thunderball, Casino Royale 67, You Only Live Twice, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, Diamonds Are Forever, The Spy Who Loved Me, For Your Eyes Only, Octopussy, Never Say Never Again, and A View to a Kill. Wow. So we're talking hardcore Bond insider here.
1: <laughs> like, yeah, and apparently a super stunt guy. I what? So are they doing stunts as red shirts being killed off or are they doing stunts covering for Bond? Do you know?
0: Well, we'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, some of them are red shirts like henchman shark victim and minor gunned down by Zoran and the strangled specter skier. But the other people in this scene include the thug driving the truck that waylays them. That's Romo Guerrera. He was in two other Saint episodes. He was a Spectre trainee in From Russia with Love. He was Man in Casino in Casino Royale 67. He was Carver's thug in Tomorrow Never Dies. He was a stunt man in From Russia with Love, Casino Royale 67, GoldenEye, and Tomorrow Never Dies. He did stunts in The Saint also in another episode called The King of the Beggars. So this crew is going to become the key stunt crew for the Bond films. The other thug is the one that becomes the fake limo driver. So they Hmm. waylay the chauffeur and they take his place. The guy that takes his place is Bob Simmons. Okay, get ready for this. Bob Simmons... Was the ambulance attendant in Moonraker, henchman in For Your Eyes Only, stunt double Guy Dolman in Thunderball. He was the second unit director of Live and Let Die. What? Yep. He is also James Bond in the gun barrel of the From Russia With Love video game. He was the body double for Connery in Dr. No and From Russia With Love and Goldfinger. He directed action sequences in Thunderball and Dr. No and You Only Live Twice and Goldfinger. He's also the James Bond in The Gun Barrel of Dr. No and The Gun Barrel of From Russia with Love and The Gun Barrel at the beginning of Goldfinger. He played Colonel Jacques Bouvard in Thunderball, a KGB thug in The Spy Who Loved Me, and he did stunts in You Only Live Twice, Diamonds Are Forever, Live and Let Die, The Spy Who Loved Me, Moonraker, For Your Eyes Only, Octopussy, and A View to a Kill. Nice. Okay. Have I covered all the thugs? I think so. At least for this episode. <laughs> I, think, I think all the thugs are finally covered. Back to the action here. So they substitute their the chauffeur with their fake limo driver. When Templar and the queen get to the Schweitzer National Bank— They're being tailed. We find out what they're withdrawing here. It's $5 million in jewels. I don't know what that translates in today's money, but it was interesting that they mentioned it in dollars rather than pounds.
1: Yeah, you know, I didn't catch that, but maybe it's because it's a Middle Eastern country. Like, effectively, it's not really either dollars or pounds, but yes, yeah, that's an interesting detail. I, I thought we knew from the beginning that they're going to go fetch her jewelry and that it's part of... Like, she's she's posing as if she's going on a shopping trip in, in Zurich. And in the beginning, she's determined to go alone because Simon is such a rake and she's upset at how he's treating her. And she thinks she can do it alone. Of course, it's immediately apparent to us as the audience that she would not be able to do this alone. There are people tailing her. And fortunately... Simon seems to be a couple steps ahead of the game.
0: Yeah, this time the truck advances ahead of them, and then their driver takes them on a back road where the thugs trap them and take the jewels. Templar tries to bluff that it'll explode, the case, and then they manage to escape, but without the jewels until we find out
1: that he had a plan for that.
0: <laughs> yeah, Templar switched cases with their lunch basket.
1: He managed to orchestrate in what seems like no time at all a really ingenious way of getting the jewels onto the plane smuggled into their picnic basket. And I don't know when he found time to rig the case to go off with a, you know, smoke bomb, basically. But it was very clever.
0: <laughs> okay. And she's throwing a fit on the uh, the plane? Yes. I think that was uh, definitely a scene worth t- worth pointing out. I don't know. <laughs> like, cause he's totally like completely calm about the whole thing. And what does he say? He's like, he,
1: he says that he didn't tell her what was going on cause he wanted her reaction to be genuine. And he's like, and it was, and you know, he's sort of saying it as a, he's both disappointed in her and not disappointed in her at the same time. <laughs> Just before that, we get a glimpse of yet another hench person who i didn't find has any connection to James Bond, so he may have fallen off your list. But can we talk about Larry Taylor for a second? Sure. Um, This guy who seems to be in brownface, were you getting that impression? It was weird, because I went to look at his other filmography, and the only thing I recognized that he had been in, he's an extra in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and I was like I definitely don't remember anybody who looked like this in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. So
0: another Ian Fleming story by Another the way. Ian Fleming story <laughs> by the way.
1: Um
0: yeah, so. I don't it definitely looks odd, but I can't say for sure if he was in Brownface or not and if he was why?
1: Yeah, well there were some shots where it seemed like he was more just like very heavily tanned like a number of the other British actors who are playing people from the Middle East in this episode but when you first see him on the tarmac he's alarming looking. He's got sort of a Jaws-like presence in in the film as being almost a super thug with horrible teeth. I yeah I was curious whether when you saw it it raised any kind of alarm bells for you or maybe it's just me.
0: I thought it was strange. He's definitely ugly looking. (laughs) Yes, he
1: is definitely ugly looking. But a very talented actor, I'm sure.
0: (laughs) Okay, so they're back on the plane. Everything should be good, but uh uh-oh, the pilot and co-pilot fly to an abandoned airstrip in France. There are some bad guys waiting for them, but basically Templar gets the jump on the guys and steals their car. But the bad guys do manage to put a hole in the gas tank. Yes. so
1: Necessitating a long walk in which our damsel in distress says, I can't walk in these shoes. And Simon Templer says, well, then take them off. Well, I won't do that. They're your feet. (laughs) (laughs) Such a great, very simple, manly kind of response to this.
0: (laughs) They get to a gas station, and while Simon Templer and the man – who works at the gas station, walk back to the car. The queen stays there, and she calls the king, which inadvertently reveals their location to a spy who is listening in.
1: Okay, I had to actually rewind and watch this sequence of scenes again with the phone call, and then we pretty much go straight to the morning after, in which they have a conversation that seems... Laden with innuendo, but I could not find any evidence that anything had actually taken place. But the morning after, he's getting ready to go outside. He's sort of monitoring the gas station, and he says, I'm going to go get something to eat. And she says, I'm starving. And he says, who isn't? And it just seems like a very, like— they've been screwing all night and have just woken up kind of conversation, but there's no evidence to support that this has happened. (laughs) What was your impression? uh, Yeah, I
0: didn't get the impression that they had been screwing all night, but what I did get the impression is that they had in the past. Like, that's how they knew each other. Yes, oh,
1: definitely. That's why I was wondering whether – like they're sharing a bed together—is this you know a censored nineteen sixties PG thirteen TV show way of implying that something happened last night or not?
0: I don't know. Could be, could be. But I think it's, to us. it's up, up to interpretation. <laughs> I didn't think that they were on uh, particularly good terms when they reached this hotel. Also,
1: no, but it's sort of like a um, it happened one night kind of screwball comedy you know, they're, they're cat fighting and their blood is getting up and then suddenly it turns into intense sexual attraction. I don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a thing. It was a thing <laughs> in movies back then.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, like, in like, you know, from the 40s through the I think by the time you get to the 70s, then it's more just like, no, there's a, we're not trying to hide this anymore from our audiences. It's just happening.
0: In the morning, Simon Templar gets into a fight with a bad guy in the garage. That's how he finds out that their location has been compromised and he basically talks to the queen and finds out, yeah, she made a phone call. They catch a ride with a wealthy widow who stops at the service station in her Rolls Royce under the cover that they are eloping.
1: Yes. This actress, Nora Nicholson, I thought was really great in this episode. And so I wanted to look up what her deal was. And it turns out she was really a stage actress most of her career. She was born in 1887. 1887. Isn't that amazing? And so she was mostly Royal Shakespeare Company, but then she did start taking roles in films and TV. And pretty much always played this character that we're seeing in Hortense. this episode. Yeah, yeah like varia- themes of variations on Hortense, but like dotty older ladies. Of course, this dotty older lady is not just any old lady. But you can see her in other films playing more or less the same role, and she's excellent at it.
0: So the bad guy in the garage wakes up, and he decides to pursue them. They tell the widow that it's the father-in-law
1: yes. that's after
0: them. <laughs> Meanwhile the gendarmes arrive at the garage investigating the murder at the airfield.
1: Yeah, and the daughter of the bed and breakfast owner or maybe wife, young wife, uh faints. Like just uh, you know, a little a little gratuitous, you know, making fun of women for no reason kind of thing. Like I don't I don't think they needed to do that, but it's a very small detail. But anyway, but they they let the owners of the bed and breakfast know that Simon Templar may be a witness of interest, in that they need to question in relation to the murder.
0: <gasps> and one of the gendarmes is played by Andre Charest. He's in another episode of the Saint called "The Benevolent Burglar," but also notably, he was uncredited, but he was the hotel concierge in um, "From Russia with Love" in the uh, the hotel in Istanbul. Nice. Yet another little little connection there. The widow's driver manages to lose their tail, and she takes them to her home and makes them tea.
1: In a very arsenic and old lace kind of way.
0: (laughs) Simon Templer notes the off taste and knocks the cup from the queen's hand. That's when we find out that the little old lady is actually a bad guy too.
1: Yeah, and then really confirming our suspicions, like— Almost everyone, almost everyone is under the employ apparently of King Faluda's rivals.
0: So I couldn't figure out if she was working with the bad guys or if she had her own separate arsenic and old lace like I kill people kind of things and like that coincidentally the bad guys showed up and they're like, "Okay, we're going to take it from here. Oh, no.
1: She definitely said that she used to work in intelligence but that she hates government. So instead – she decided to become an assassin for hire. <laughs> Best backstory for an extra ever, like for a for a side character. They really fleshed her out.
0: <laughs> Simon Templar and the Queen try to make a break for it just as the gendarmes arrive. So Simon Templar steals a cop car, and they are able to make it to their train. In case the stations are watched, they take the last bit of this journey by road in another Rolls Royce, by the way. And Farid has blocked the road. Simon Templar backs down the road, and the bad guys in pursuit end up driving off the cliff.
1: <laughs> yeah, and in the end, there's a great line where the Queen is asking Simon he could have taken the jewels at any time and just run off with them. And why didn't he? Because as far as we know, Simon is a Boy Scout only to a certain degree. And that he usually does end up taking a little off the top from the criminals that he's helping to stop. But he hasn't stolen anything, and she asks him why. And he says, well, I made a promise. And she says, do you always keep your promises? And he says sometimes, to my surprise, yes. But it was a surprisingly, like, thoughtful moment in an episode that is otherwise like one thing after another. (laughs) Just like constant chases and escapes.
0: Yep. Overall, what was your opinion of the episode?
1: It was really fun. I liked the sense that I didn't know what was happening next. I was sort of intrigued about you know, wanting to look up what was politically going on in the Middle East at the time in terms of this made-up country (laughs) that they've created and the politics there. It was a good balance of international intrigue without Simon being out of his depth.
0: Yeah, I liked it a lot. The only thing I was not crazy about is that I actually liked it in black and white. Yeah. I don't think color TV, they had yet gotten the composition down like it's still kind of uh not nearly as interesting as when it was in black and white but maybe that's just me.
1: Yeah, the pinks are very pink in this era's TV.
0: Which yeah.
1: Yeah, and so Which was shot on film. Yeah, which was shot yeah. Um I did like seeing Hortense's dress though. It looks like the sort of thing that Nora Nicholson would have worn as a girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but,
0: yeah. She, she definitely uh, steals the scenes she's in. Totally. Okay, let's get into the next episode. Season six, episode two, Invitation to Danger.
1: Lucky you've got quick reflexes. I'd better drive you home.
0: Thanks. I think I've just been elected into a rather exclusive club. Oh, uh, was that? The League of Grateful Women, whose lives have been saved by the famous Simon Templar.
1: Season 6, Episode 2. This episode aired February 17th, 1968, and it was directed by... Roger Moore! Yes! This is... One of the nine episodes that he directed.
0: This is one of the reasons I chose it for our final episode. There were only six seasons of the original run of The Saint, and so I wanted to go out on an episode that was actually directed by Roger Moore.
1: Yeah, I think he did a pretty good job. Some of it is the script for this episode is really excellent and layered, and there's a lot going on thanks to writer Terry Nation who our listeners may know mostly as a writer on Doctor Who from roughly 1963. He is credited as the creator of the Daleks, Exterminate. (laughs) And he was very protective of his creations and how they were used and sort of maintained. You know, even if you watch the later seasons of Doctor Who with David Tennant and – Matt Smith, the Daleks, still maintain their 1960s persona. So you can thank Terry Nation for that.
0: Again, it opens in a casino. Again, Templar is narrating and he tells us about the security in the casino. So already we have an idea that there is going to be probably a casino heist going on here. Um,
1: Chekhov's security system. (laughs)
0: Yes. Now, first, just as last time, I want to call your attention to some of the casino patrons. Great. (laughs) First, Martin Leiter, who we last saw as the croupier from the Queen's Ransom, is back as the croupier here. We'll next see him as a croupier in Diamonds Are Forever. Also, there's Peter Evans as a man in the casino. He was in nine other saint episodes, so ten altogether. He would go on to play man in a casino in a bunch of other stuff, like a Le Circle patron in Dr. No and a casino patron in Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Mm. Lady in Casino is played by Pauline Chamberlain. She was in 21 other saint episodes She would later play one of the casino patrons in Thunderball. Nice. And finally, Jack Arrow, who we mentioned in the last one as a casino staff member. He is the cashier here. But the main thing is he asks about a blonde woman gambling at the craps table across from him. She's strictly an iceberg
1: Yes. Yeah, there was a lot of various ways of saying she's an ice queen.
0: (laughs) The character's name is Reb Denny. Reb Denny is Shirley Eaton.
1: Who we've mentioned showed up in previous episodes of The Saint. She was in The Talented Husband and Luella.
0: So we have come full circle with a female lead from the very first episode we watched, The Talented Husband. Yes. We mentioned that her most infamous role is, of course. Jill Masterson in Goldfinger, the Bond girl who is painted gold. Yes,
1: the first golden girl.
0: There are a lot of Bond tropes in this one. Yes. It starts with she's attacked in the parking garage and Simon Templer gets into a brawl with the attacker and he runs off. We'll find out a little bit more about him later, but I wanted to call attention to who
1: played this Of course.
0: (laughs) This is going to come up over and over again. So guys, just deal with it. This is Leslie Crawford. Uh, The character we'll later learn is called Peter Rando. He was the fight arranger for 14 other episodes of The Saint and he acted in this and nine other episodes. Also, he did stunts in From Russia With Love and Diamonds Are Forever. And here we go. Roger Moore's stunt double in Live and Let Die and The Man with the Golden Gun, and he played a waiter in Honor Majesty's Secret Service and a cowboy in the funhouse in The Man with the Golden Gun. Continuing on, Reb takes him to a party at a mansion, but it gets there. There's no one there. And he's locked in a room with a reel-to-reel tape player with a recorded greeting stating that he's a prisoner.
1: Yes, this is, this is one of the most Ian Fleming type moments I thought was like, you're trapped and here's the tape recorder that's going to tell you what's going on.
0: He manages to find a hidden door and escapes into another room. There he finds a newspaper clipping with a photo of himself getting off an airplane. I wasn't sure if that was actually a reference. The story is about an assassination plot. Was that a reference to the Queen's Ransom episode? I wondered
1: about that because it looked like the same plane.
0: Yeah, Uh I think it was. I think that's what it was. Huh. Because there's no other assassination involved here. No. So I think that they were like studying him and, you know, he was in the paper for that. He explores the house and then an unseen person injects him with a hypodermic needle and he blacks out. We zoom in on his watch, which says 1230.
1: An Omega watch. It's very clear (laughs) also. Excellent product placement, Omega.
0: (laughs) And then at 250, he comes to. And he tries to leave and a man comes through the door and falls to the ground with a wound to his chest. I thought he was stabbed, but later on we find out he was shot. It looks like the guy from the car park, Mm. the attacker from the car park. And he makes a dying, you know, man-who-knew-too-much kind of um, (laughs) uh, statement. As he dies, he says, stop them, Friday, midnight, and then he dies.
1: (laughs) Speaking of man-who-knew-too-much, I saw this at the Turner Classic Movies Festival this year. The film really still holds up. The only thing that doesn't is que sera, sera, just like— like, that feels...
0: That won an Oscar for, like, th- the wi- the best music yeah. whatever number from a film. I forget what what they used to call it in the Oscars, but for that year.
1: Yeah, that's, that's the only part of it that really feels like, okay, this now has a different meaning in modern day because it's been so overplayed and overused. But everything else about the film, like, you are really worried those children are going to get killed. This is a side note, but film worth revisiting. Man Who Knew Too Much, for sure.
0: Okay. So this has a very man who knew too much kind of feel to it. He dies and in his hand, there's a gold coin, which Simon Templer takes. He gets outside and his car is still there and someone's filled it with gas, which Mm. is interesting. By the way, his car, which we've never mentioned before, but it was right there in the first episode. This is his trademark Volvo P1800. This is the that is most identified with Simon Templer. Anyway, he takes it and leaves, and he finds on the floorboards Reb's custom perfume. Mm. Meanwhile, down the road, there's some guys working for a Mr. Sunley waiting for him. Sidebar, we got to talk about these guys. Yeah. All right. (laughs) So these guys are... One is uh, Brian Marshall Moreno. He was in one previous episode of The Saint and also appeared in The Saint Returns. And he was Commander Talbot in The Spy Who Loved Me. The main henchman, though, Ramon Falcone, was played by Julian Glover. Uh, He was in one previous episode of The Saint and he also played Christatos in For Your Eyes Only
1: but also Walter Donovan from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and Veers from Empire Strikes Back.
0: Yes. I wasn't going to go into all the uh, the other things that these people have been in, but yes, uh, Veers is actually in in a number of them. I think Veers is in A New Hope also and is uh, yes. an, yes. a regular in the—
1: But he, he gets a prominent moment in Empire Strikes Back when— Vader is angry at him Uh, for... Yeah.
0: yeah. (laughs) End of sidebar. (laughs) When Templar drives by, they chase him. And after an altercation, they end up shooting out his tires and apprehend him for stealing 100,000 pounds from the casino safe. Hmm. So they take him back to the casino where their boss, Mr. Sunley, is waiting for them. Everybody's an American in this.
1: Did you notice how
0: many Americans there are in this?
1: Yes. I wondered whether that was a specific, you know, Roger Moore thought in his head like, OK, these guys are here to bust some sort of casino-related crime. Like, who, th- who are the heavies? And that he couldn't picture anything other than Amer- an American accent. That's the my explanation.
0: I even had to go back and double-check that this wasn't supposed to be taking place in the U.S. But no, it is indeed in, supposed to be in London. And uh, – So Mr. Sunley, played by... Robert Hutton. Yeah, Brett Sunley is played by Robert Hutton. He was in two previous episodes of The Saint, and he played the president's aide in You Only Live Twice. Mm. I don't know. Maybe there just aren't a lot of screen actors in England and they all ended up in Bond films. (laughs) (laughs) After another escape attempt, they... Decide to handcuff him to an overhead pipe in the wine cellar. They show him a bunch of circumstantial evidence and tell him about this anonymous tip they got that he robbed the casino. So he knows that he doesn't have any choice. Like no matter what he says, they're not going to believe him. So he tells them the money's in the mansion that he came from. They leave to go check it out and meanwhile he attempts an elaborate escape (laughs) that involves taking out the supports of these giant barrels of wine or whatever it is. And then he finds some brandy and he starts a fire and it's a complicated escape attempt that could have gone wrong in a million ways. But, you know, um, it was very Bond.
1: (laughs) I I love the moment, though, when Julian Glover's going to interrogate him. They sort of build it up as this, like, this guy's a real sadist and I'm going to turn him on you kind of thing. And then he, like, just, like, slaps him with an open palm. And, like, that's as far as it gets in terms of, like, oh, look out. He's really going to give it to you. And Simon, like, you know, he, he says something like the guy needs a manicure or, you know, it's. Anyway, it was it was kind of comical. I was expecting, you know... I mean, we do get some great dialogue in this scene, though. Like, in the vein of, you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Like, still in that kind of flavor.
0: The other thing that I like, it's a very Roger Moore Bond thing to do. He's got this bottle of high proof brandy that he's pouring out in order to escape but he has to stop he has to take a drink of it and assess the quality of the brandy. Yes. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> um, that was really a nice little touch there he manages to affect his escape just before they return and so he goes to the perfumier if that's what they're called yeah Okay, and uh, <laughs> and she tells him that it was created for a Rebecca Denny, and as soon as he leaves, the clerk alerts Sun Lee that Simon Templar was there. This is a weird plot hole here in this this episode. Like, yeah. how uh, does everybody work for <laughs> Sun Lee? Like, you know, whatever random perfume dealer in, in, in London actually happens to be on his payroll. I don't know. He meets up with his friend, Marty, who gives him his poker winnings from the night before and a gun. He goes to Reb's apartment and hears noises inside. So he sneaks around to the balcony and sees Sunley's men have her tied up and gagged and they, they found the money bag in shower. So they're about to rough her up when Simon Templar bursts in, fights them, and suddenly shows up.
1: They, they say, "I guess we have a real Mexican standoff here."
0: Yeah, there are a number of like things like that where they reference, I think, what are stereotypical American movie cliches. Yeah. So,
1: although in this case, just hearing the line said so. Baldly reminded me a lot of the Key and Peel sketch, which, if you haven't seen, I highly recommend. It's perfect.
0: <laughs> Basically, you know, he's like, look, you, everybody gets what they want, you leave with the money. They left with the money. Denny is pissed, but Simon Templer regags her until she calms down. She tells him that she works for the CIA, and suddenly, Casino is just a front that. A couple of weeks ago, a man stole a missile site map from the U.S., and they want to stop the sale by stealing the money, and they were going to frame Simon Templar to throw them off the track.
1: He says, I have this aversion (laughs) to being killed for something I did not do.
0: (laughs) She says that the guy that attacked him in the car park was her partner, and he tells her that, well, he was killed. She's like, no. (laughs) So they tail suddenly to a warehouse, and before they go in, they let the air out of his tires. Yes. So as the deal is going down, Denny and Simon Templar attack. They manage to get the file and the money and flee back to the mansion. And there, (laughs) dun-dun-dun, Marty, his friend, is waiting for them. He says that Peter Randall was a real CIA agent planning to frame him, but Randall hired Reb and him.
1: Well, and we kind of get a hint that there's maybe something not quite right. I mean, we we followed with the perfume thing. We, we suspected Reb for a while, but in the previous scene, Simon confronts her about the coin or not confronts so much as...
0: He shows it to her. He
1: shows it to her, sort of waiting to see her reaction. And you could argue that at the time even if she did know what it was maybe she as a CIA agent wouldn't have told a lay person th- what its significance was but it's what sets him onto her and he knows that she's not who she says she is
0: so yeah basically it is a indicator that someone is a CIA agent if they flash this coin so in the world of Simon Templar in the Saint, CIA agents have something that changes every week that identifies them as a CIA agent, and I guess Simon Templar's close enough to the CIA that they're willing to tell him what it is. Or anyway. he just
1: knows. I mean, like he seems to just know a lot of this stuff.
0: No, I think he called. I think he talks. I, I could be wrong, but my recollection is he said he called them.
1: He, he called them, and yeah. they were like, "Sure, <laughs> we'll just tell um, you what it is."
0: But he decided he's finishing Peter's job. Reb stops Marty from shooting Simon Templar by shooting at him in a double cross. But Simon actually has this gun that Marty gave him, which Marty said, you know, oh, it's just filled with blanks. But in fact, in another twist, Simon Templar had replaced the blanks with real bullets
1: and says, I always check the gun which I'm trying to think of previous episodes where we maybe have seen that he did or didn't, but this is something that frequently comes up in TV shows where you're like, well, why didn't he just do X? And in the case of the saint, oftentimes Simon has just done X. He's two steps ahead of the bad guys, and they, they're they like, ha-ha, the gun's full of blanks. And he's like, what did you think? I wasn't going to check that?
0: <laughs> so he takes them into custody.
1: I definitely liked the... Multiple backstabbings. That's always extra fun. And Shirley Eaton, I think, is great in it as this ice queen. She seemed very convincing when she's like, oh, no, actually, I'm CIA. But performances were strong. I would say that kind of how the casino is functioning as a front for all these international deals is an idea that is more worthy of a feature film than it is of an hour-long episode of television. So that's the only thing I'd say is, like, there's actually a lot more potential in this plot than they were able to explore in the time they had.
0: I thought it was fantastic. It's one of my favorite episodes. It is rare that an episode of a TV show that came out before I was born can keep me guessing. Like, I don't know exactly how it's going to end. This succeeded. Rarely does that happen. Like, there were plot twists I did not see coming here. By this point, Roger Moore is looking like a legitimate heir apparent to the Bond mantle.
1: Some of what helps is that the series as it went on definitely became less campy and more focused on tying in international intrigue into the series rather than fun, small-time crimes. We've gone a long way from The Talented Husband where – they're in some hamlet somewhere in England. Is just like one actor who's offing all his wives is a very different level of involvement, skill, prestige than we see Simon acting in once we get here um, in season six.
0: All right. So we have come full circle. We started uh, with uh, a Roger Moore and Truly um, Eaton episode. We ended with one. I think this is a pretty good overview of what this series was like. I encourage anyone who's intrigued by it from our reviews to go back and watch all of them. It's on a lot of streaming services. It's not hard to find this entire series. Definitely, if there are any Bond aficionados out there who haven't seen it, which I'd be shocked if that's a very large pool of people, but by all means, you should definitely check it out
1: yeah, it was a really fun watch. I also like that it's in this kind of sweet spot of like you can watch it with your kids. You can watch it with your grandmother. Mm-hmm. You could also just watch it by yourself with a we're gonna say a dirty martini.
0: yeah <laughs> so you you said in a previous episode that you were gonna be a good girl and watch all the episodes that we had planned, but uh, that you were gonna go watch other ones.
1: I've got a maternity leave coming up. I decided, you know, what is going to keep me sane when I've got a a newborn that is driving me nuts? A little bit of class, a little bit of high society, a little bit of intrigue, a little bit of Roger Moore. So I'm saving the saint for then.
0: All right. Well, I want to let you guys know you could really help out the show by just recommending us to somebody else. We... Don't spend money on advertising. We don't really do anything like that. So the best way that you can help is just recommend the show to somebody else. If you want to talk to us, you can write to us at GC8podcast. That's letter G, letter C, number 8, podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Eric. This is Johanna. Signing off.
1: explain, (laughs) exterminate,